Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Hello, welcome to One Media, One Media, where we take two pieces of media and, oh my goth, we talk about it. I am Takeshi, and with me I have Santos, and it still is Oh My Goth Month. That's right, and today we're going to talk about two originals, in a way, of their genre, Vampire Hunter D, which came out in 1985. It was one of the first animes that was actually specifically made for teenage boys and adults. It's like a little bit more violent and has a lot more action in it. And one of the interesting things is, too, it's released in America in 1982, and then they decided to do another English dub in 2015. I think we saw the one in 82, (laughs) say the least. Oh, yeah, definitely. Add some jank to it. But it was so endearing in its own way. Supposedly, there is actually more novels written about Vampire Hunter D in his past than manga. And there is actually another film, too, which was released in 2015, also called Vampire Hunter D Bloodlines. No, it was released in 2000. I'm sorry. So we're going to talk about the original one, and it's pretty good. You just have to get past the jank. You could actually watch the new one, too. And the most frustrating thing about Vampire Hunter D is you can't really find it on regular streaming sites like Netflix, Funimation, Crunchyroll. We had to go to YouTube. Yeah, this episode is brought to you by YouTube. (laughs) Shout out to YouTube. Yeah. It felt like dated. (laughs) So it was very dated. It was very 80s, 85. And when you said it was made for teenage boys and adults, adult men, (laughs) there's like a lot of like things now that you're it's cringe at yeah right right just like the panty shots and the oh you know i'll give you three square meals a day and then whatever you want to do with my body you're like shut (laughs) up i'll let you sleep with me or something (laughs) yeah it's so bad it's so bad so there's a lot to be desired from the female characters but um and then he tells that young boy that's what being a man is which is like hiding your emotions and I was like no (laughs) I mean I get like show a good face for your sister and be supportive but when he put it that way it's like that is problematic (laughs) that is not okay time to put you up and act like a man yeah it's like oh god (laughs) this is 85 it makes me feel ancient like I grew up in like a backwards land. <laughs> it's like, oh God. But there are things about it I like. There, so, yeah, there, there is there's quite a There's definitely, it is, yeah. The funniest thing I always kind of forget about older animes too is even when it up until the mid-90s with Studio Ghibli stuff where they don't really conclude stuff. Sometimes they don't have a strong enough plot to kind of carry on, like, why she's in love with D and why D loves... God, I forget her name now. Uh, the main Doris character? Lay. Doris. Doris. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like old lady name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Old lady name. <laughs> but they don't explain why she loves him. It just all of a sudden she's in love with him. Great. You know, like, even just that conversation, even though I was bagging on the conversation with the, the little boy... 
the fact he even talked to that little boy was a big deal. He was like very silent. He doesn't really, you know, like he keeps his distance from people. So yeah, yeah, I don't exactly know what triggered him to be so um, drawn into that family, you know, like to have like his heart warm to them. So does a new one talk about that? Like, does Bloodlust get watch into it? Yet. it? Maybe you should watch okay. it next week. I don't know. I might have to just <laughs> investigate if they updated. They came out 2000. It's still going to be real sexist. <laughs> it it probably like is going to be a, garbage, a little but. bit uh, sexist, but I think they're going to have a li- lot better translation in the long run. Where okay. this one is... <sighs> the thing I do love about it, though, I love the sounds. I love all the weird old school sound effects. It made me really miss, like, old Voltron and Robotech. Yeah, it definitely, all the, like, and then I was thinking, like, was it an 80s thing that horror characters always laughed? Like, there's a lot of, like, maniacal laughter and giggling. (laughs) I loved it. (laughs) For sure. We should discover the plot. It's pretty simple. Okay, Doris Lang is going hunting Her lineage is her father was a werewolf hunter, and this werewolf decides to kind of attack her and removes her cross that she's wearing as a necklace, which all of a sudden, Count Magnus Lee appears. I forgot to say, it takes place in 12,090 AD. There's this whole entire plot that happens before that, but we're not going to get into that. And so Count Magnus hypnotizes her and drinks her blood and decides that she's going to be his bride. And in a few days, she'll turn into a vampire and they're going to breed and make damn pills, which what D is. And so she randomly bumps into a vampire hunter named D and tests him with a whip and he instantly breaks it and then she says you must help me you have to help me and then she shows him the the bite marks on his neck and then he gets really really interested in he in the case and he takes it on pretty much that's all it is <laughs> a lot of kidnapping and uh <laughs> yeah it's not a kidnapping the thing i do like about it too is the art style is pretty interesting even though it's supposed to be in the far feature and there is some cybernetics it does feel kind of like it's in the dark ages. That's one thing I do like about it. The design of D is incredible. <laughs> I still don't get the talking hand. No, they don't have to talk so about trippy. It. Yeah. So trippy. So I think we might have to do some more research one of these days and maybe the manga, the light novels, because there is a pretty deep history on D in general because he's a hybrid. They call it a damn peel. And that's probably what the D stands for. That's when a vampire of noble lineage, it has to be a male, mates with a human female, and they create a hybrid. And they can't always create hybrid children. And he is the original Dampil from the original lineage of Count Dracula. Oh, is that why he's so powerful? Because That's people are so surprised powerful. by him. Yeah. And he's also, I mean, if you think about it, he's a vampire hunter, goes out and kills vampires. So yeah, yeah. Troubling. He's been doing it for over 8,000 years. Oh, okay. So he's like the OG of vampire hunters. It's interesting to watch it. I kind of want to see the better translation. Maybe it's not as bad. And there's this whole entire struggle with D with his humanity 
and him being a vampire. And that's why when the girl was giving herself to him, he was having this struggle with her because he could easily become a vampire and just drink all her blood and kill her. And there's this like weird temptation to it. So he's kind of struggling with humanity or what he thinks humanity should be. He doesn't outright just mur- like kill people, like or not people, but like even the villainous mutants or whatever. It's he'll fight people, but he didn't just like demolish everybody. Like I think about the vampire daughter. Yeah, even the son. He let him live. Who was that? Was he really related? I thought he was just like a mutant, and that's why they were always like, "Ugh, fifty more years." And then the daughter thought she was like pure vampire. No, she was also damn pure. But she didn't believe it. She didn't believe <laughs> she was it. Holding hard on the fact that she, but she. So there was like these interesting relationships of like whether I don't know even Doris yeah. and her hated each other, but then there was like this moment of like protecting each other. Right. I think if this was made today, and they were able to make maybe nine or ten episodes out of it, it could kind of dig deeper into it. I wish they would, actually. I think it deserves a remake. Yeah, a series. (laughs) Yeah, because it was only 80 minutes, I guess, too. So it wasn't that long. But I remember seeing this when I was a kid, or a teenager. I was just pretty amazed by the animation. I dug it a lot, but... And I only saw it once, and this is the first time I saw it in over 20-some-odd years. It was cool to watch. You have to have some nostalgic rose-tinted glasses while you watch it. And I miss those sounds. That's that's one thing I want back. I want those weird synth sounds in anime nowadays. Yeah, no, that was fun. And it is, like, the colors. I was like, oh, it's so 85, but it was, like, great. So I was like, this is, like classic but it's like a dated classic you gotta get past some things you do so (laughs) it's like that's the warning but if and then like you said they don't really talk about what happened it's just like and then now we're here so (laughs) kind of like leapfrog things but i I had fun watching it you know that happens in princess mononoke too this very well-known movie uh by studio jubilee it just ends like i love you bye And scene. Like, we're just done. Like, we're done. Yeah, no, there's it. Yeah. That happens in this, too. D just leaves. And yeah. that's it. But even before that, I felt like there was, like, moments where I'm like, wait, where are we? <laughs> oh, my God. I also have to point out how annoyed I was that they were like, when the full moon is red, and they're like, oh, that's impure. Like, I'm like, would you not, like, get into this, like, it's the woman's moon? I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> I don't remember that part, but... It's so stupid, but <laughs> I was like, that's fine. Oh, I love the wedding. Like, she, he was going to, like, the Count was going to marry Doris, and she's, like, hypnotized. And her wedding party is just a bunch of ghouls. I was like, this is the best. Like, this is the best, most goth eyes. wedding ever. It is. Like, and it's awesome. So, yeah. And vampires are very goth, and I think that classic relationship of, like, human, vampire romantic not with the count being like a creep but with d oh yeah you know like that kind of like the humanity and where they're trying to like i don't know hold up these certain values even it's designed too 
he is very long and lanky, and he has this nice long black cape and this beautiful hat. <laughs> Definitely. He's, he's kind of tortured. Like, he has this tortured, tortured thing going. So Yeah, yeah. He's very goth. He'd be a troubled teenager <laughs> in the 90s. Yes. So that was a good choice. So I would recommend it if you want to go down a trip on memory lane. You might want to watch the newer dub because I haven't seen the newer dub yet. But there's times where the dub, it, it feels very cheap. Like they just took a re- tape recorder and they just put it on top of the sounds. Especially in the <laughs> beginning. And you have to get yeah. past that part. It took me 20 minutes to get past it. It'll take a normal person like five minutes who doesn't really have like an ear like Takeshi. <laughs> okay. Okay. For you, it's five minutes. I kept on telling yeah. you, you have to get past it. He gave me like a really, you know, like, yeah, like watch that. So I, it didn't really bother me because I was like, I'm not really noticing. I know you're watching it off YouTube. Like you have to take it with a grain of salt on the quality. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. I think they probably copied this straight from a VHS or something strange. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. But I think if you want to, yeah, have some nostalgia to the 80s and yeah. see where some of the anime probably, I don't know if this launched other animes or inspired. Oh, yeah, definitely other. did. I mean, it was the first of its type. It's the OG of OGs. <laughs> Check it out. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we are back and we're going to talk about Lydia Lunch, Queen of Siam. And you actually probably know more about this than I do. I don't know that much about Lydia Lunch. I know it was released February 9th, 1980, and was recorded in 1979. And there's really not much about the album at all, except for who the personnel was. It was produced by Bob Blank, and he did the recording and the mixing, but that's it. The guy who did the photography was George DeBose, and she has a pretty incredible backup band. The Hungarian suicide song was actually written by Lazarolo Javier. And the composer was Rizio Series. And I guess Billie Holiday and Elvis also covered the song, maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, Gloomy Sunday. Yeah, it's an amazing Billie Holiday. I always just attribute it to her. She has a beautiful version of that song. It's a pretty interesting album because the way it's all set up where it won't remind you of a typical band with typical first chorus, first chorus songs. There's only maybe two or three of those at the most. And most of it is kind of more experimental sounding and her kind of sounding like a little kid. Which I like that voice. It's kind of weird and creepy sounding. By the way, we should probably go back and give a little brief history of Lydia Lunch, my bad. She was in another band before called Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. Yes. Yes. And you said they're incredible. Yes. Well, I just looked up because I was like, what years was that? So I just looked that up and it says 1976 to 79. Yeah. yeah. And for that time period, it's the no wave, loud. Is it like along the line of Lou Reed or or Iggy Pop? It's punk. Like it's it's punk. punk. It's like aggressive and amazing. So, So this album is very different from Teenage Jesus. And most of her other stuff is not like the Teenage Jesus and the Jerks at all. 
it's a lot of spoken word. Uh, so I've yeah. noticed. What I usually do is I listen to something. Uh, okay, this sounds okay. Let me see what their other stuff sounds like on Spotify. And I'll just hit random songs and see how it sounds. And her voice does definitely change in the later years, too. And definitely. I guess there is a reason for that. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, her voice gets really gravelly, but that's like a cigarette smoking thing. So, oh, okay. and maybe even just being on the road a lot. Yeah, it sounds like she blew out her voice. Yeah, I think of her as she's also a writer, she's an author, she's a poet. So, and she has a spoken word. That's one of her many things she does. Cause I think she's also a photographer, visual right. artist. And then there's music. And so Teenage Jesus was like the kickoff, I believe. Okay. And then her solo stuff, like you said. But then she's in like a numerous amounts of other bands that she started. Yeah. With other people. Definitely. You said she has a side project with a Sonic Youth member. I believe, yeah, that's one. And you'll isn't that on Spotify? Is that Death Valley 69 or is that another? Uh, It's got to be something else, I thought, but... First off, her Wikipedia sucks. <laughs> She's not. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 awful. I think there's a new documentary about her though. Oh man, I should have watched that is it. Coming out or like recently. She's on a lot of documentaries when it's around no wave music and that time in New York okay. in the eighties. That's kind of like when she came up and right. many of her collaborations are with people in that time yeah yeah the way i discovered her actually is there was all these goth compilations and industrial compilations back in the 90s and i used to always pick them up or whatnot and she was always on them but even that music was different yeah so she's an artist who is not going to be held down by like oh we like this one thing you do keep doing it it's like nope <laughs> yeah. she's gonna just keep doing stuff she likes to do i, so I yeah, respect that to down. i totally respect mm-hmm. that and she's still going like she's i mean probably not right now because of oh yeah the pandemic oh but you said she has the podcast so she has a podcast yeah she's probably working on that a lydian point of view what's it called Spin, Lydian spin. A Lydian spin. Fuck. Yeah. All right, right, right. So you can check that out. Uh, It might be pretty interesting. She's also well known for confronting Joe Rogan in 2007. I don't know why that had to be on her Wikipedia. It was there. I don't know why. Video type thing. I feel like she's she has like a very strong feminist perspective and I discovered her when I was like 14 or 15 years old I think my friend Max put some of her spoken word on a mix for me and then maybe some other music and then I got Queen of Siam so that was one of my favorite albums oh, when I was like 15 okay. years old wow really okay yeah okay. I'm not good at getting albums but I always knew one of my favorite songs was Orphans from Teenage Jesus and the Jerks because okay. it's loud and perfect. Yeah, Perfectly yeah. So Lydian Spin is the name of the podcast. It was launched in 2019. She's written many books, and one of them was even a cookbook. She just does so much. Which, of course, it's not on the... Wikipedia. Wikipedia. No. And then 
right? Her most recent music, I saw Retrovirus twice when they came to San Francisco. Okay, Retrovirus, In the last yes. five-ish years. If you are a fan of Lydia Lunch, if you followed her, you probably didn't get to hear music live of her last band or whatever else she was working on because she's always moving on and doing something new. And so Retrovirus captures her catalog. So I got to hear songs So they from, played a lot of the older you know, stuff. So, Yes, it was really fun. Interesting. And then it has Boppert on drums from Sonic Youth. Okay. It has Weasel Walters and Tim Dahl, I believe. Okay. On bass. And I was going to mention too, the compilations that I listened to of her on, it was just her and a guitar singing very well. (laughs) They're actually in the collection. (laughs) I'll have to find those too. Yeah, her stuff's all over. It's like hidden and sneaky and everywhere. I think she influenced the goth scene because like coming out with this album so early, it's interesting because it's not, I don't know, I was listening to it. I was like, it is a really interesting album. Like she takes Gloomy Sunday down a really dark path. Like it's already (laughs) a sad song and it sounds like she's in it. So I felt like that was very like you get the emotional, like love goth thing going on. Yeah. And then the song Spooky. A cover. Yeah, the cover. I mean, it's just That's all like a, happy. Yeah. and Everybody needs that song, though, on a Halloween mix. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The carnival one. Like, it's like, then she has, like, kind of campier Carnival sounding. for Fat Man. Yeah, like weird stuff. You know, we should have been playing these when we talked about it. <laughs> My favorite is Spooky, which I think should be played on a loop on Halloween. Yes, I think it's cute. It's like something I would put on, like, a compilation for a boy. For sure. Here we go. All right. And the interesting thing about this album is you have to listen to three songs that are pretty experimental before you get to Spooky. So it's like you kind of have to wait for it. And all of a sudden, it's kind of this big surprise to discover this one song. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I don't know if it's like a break. Or it's like a treat. (laughs) There's nothing... The album isn't not cohesive, but it's not like one sound, one theme she's working on. It feels like a collection of different genres she likes because even Lady Scarface, very different sound to Spooky. It has more of, like you said, swing or I don't know, something about it's very like. Yeah, big band big, swing. Yeah, yeah. big. Kind of reminds me of older soundtracks or whatever from that era. Yeah, but it has like an eerie sound, like a kind of distorted piano to it though it's kind of clangy instead of yeah something slightly off about it yeah it's probably a little bit detuned have it sound a little bit weirder and then what about you i i liked i think gloomy sunday is like one of the most goth the goth renditions of a very goth song okay let's see gloomy sunday why the fuck okay here we go (laughs) Sunday is gloomy, my 
This one kind of has a, a Twin Peaks vibe to it, to me. Did you ever watch any of the Twin Peaks or anything? No. <gasps> I know. Oh, man. Santos, Santos, Santos. <laughs> Something I have to watch. Oh, but why? God. Is it because it's eerie or? Yeah, like the intro, the opening to to it has a kind of like this dark, mysterious sound to it. Yeah, it's kind of haunting sounding. Definitely. And that's like what the intro of Twin Peaks is. And then it goes into like this kind of gloomy saxophone in the background. Yeah. It's, it's pretty trippy, actually. There's some more songs with saxophone on in this album, right? Because it's like kind of yes. like New York, 1980. I feel like the saxophone has to be part of Right. The sexy saxophone, as they would yes. call it. Yes. And it's like kind of eerie. Yeah. And then one of the my favorite songs is the first song, which introduces you to that kind of experimental mechanical flattery. Yes, I love that song. And I mentioned this before, so for me to repeat stuff again, it's always hard. <laughs> but I was riding my bike when I was listening to this, and it was really hard to focus on the road and listen to this album at the same time. But what I did notice was that her voice and the piano is on one side and the drums are on the other. And it kind of tripped me out. I was like, that's a really old school way of mixing. That's a good one. I like that song a lot. Yes. It's a definitely good intro into the album. Like, this is what you're going to get yourself into. <laughs> and it's a album people should listen to. Yes, definitely check it out. Um, we found it on YouTube, but you could also go to her band camp. And also, you said that she's with Retrovirus now, which has the drummer from Sonic Youth in it, too. Yes, Bob Burt. Yeah, and we are going to play a song from there. That sounds really interesting. It's like you could hear the band pretty well and it kind of sounds live, but it sounds like her vocals are in a bowl or something. And I'm not sure if Retrovirus has new music or if it's all just her catalog of bands and work she's done since the beginning. She never would repeat stuff. So I felt like Retrovirus was a time where she actually was like, fine. 
I'll give you what you stuff want. stuff for you guys. <laughs> so it was really fun to see them live because you got to hear a whole collection of her work in oh, one evening. Well, okay. Once again, which is frustrating. There is no Wikipedia on retrovirus. They hate the internet. I'm not sure. Why. <laughs> Maybe they hate Wikipedia. Oh, boy. Do they this have like a what? beautiful website full of information that they offer? <laughs> yeah, I wish. They don't, huh? She's like, she's mysterious. All I know is Retrovirus was released in 2013. Okay. <laughs> I have a picture. I have a picture with her from a show when she came out to San Francisco. That's awesome. I got to take a picture with her. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wish she would kind of have more of a cohesive sound, but I guess that's not her. No, and it I sounds like she. That. <laughs> she's not being held down. She's not going to no. Zola Jesus sit and go back to something. <laughs> <laughs> she's her yeah. own woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Who cares about fans? Um, she's like <laughs> yeah, but even you said previously that it was hard to figure out what she was releasing and what was current, what's good when you're at a record store. Yeah, especially for someone like me who is reliant on my friends to give me music and make me compilations and mixtapes. So my love of her is from. Queen of Siam as a teenager. And then, like I said, a couple Teenage Jesus and the Jerk songs. And then some of her, I had like a couple, like, I don't know, an excerpt from a book, you know, that she had recorded or some sort of spoken word. And I want to say like her spoken word is aggressive. Like that's what's fun about her. She's like tough and like in your face and unapologetic and she's vulgar in the most beautiful way. So it's, it's Definitely. really fun. And if she's you go powerful. through her catalog on Spotify, I know it's missing a lot of her stuff. It's her doing spoken word and her voice has changed quite a bit. It's very kind of graggly. And- yeah. Yeah. It has deepened a lot. And then on Spotify, there is, I think a couple of my favorite you know, like, what is it called? <laughs> duets? I don't know if it's a duet. It's like a but like where she like worked with somebody. So Some Velvet Morning with Roland S. Howard. It's one of the best covers. It's a cover of a song. Here we go. That's pretty interesting. He's kind of oh, collaboration. Yeah, that's the word collab. I was thinking of. <laughs> Collaborations. And did yeah. you like it? Yeah, it was pretty yeah, interesting. But also, Death Valley '69 is one of my favorite collaborations. That oh, she did. 
Death Valley 69, huh? Mm-hmm. I want to say that's with Sonic Youth, but I'm not, don't quote me on that. <laughs> possibly on Spotify too. Like it, oh, oh, some of her oh, gems. It is, it is. Hooray. Sonic Youth is another band that kind of just went their own way and decided to do whatever the hell they want for the art of it. And I can't remember her name now. Kim from Sonic Youth. I respect her voice because it's just aggressive. It's not all dainty. It's out of tune. And she's totally about that. Yeah, Yeah, that was pretty cool, too. So I recommend Queen of Siam, but I also recommend going down Olivia. (laughs) lunch yeah. rabbit hole because you will hit all different sounds <laughs> like all kinds of music and yes. like where she decided to take her art and check out her first um band right what was the name of that one teenage jesus and the jerks yeah. they're like you know the kind of like a pinnacle band in the no wave movement in new york quintessential band. quintessential yeah. that's what's the word yay yeah <laughs> quintessential so i think and then that all sparks off and i feel like she's a big like we said like the godmother of goth yes definitely her and that's the one thing we we talked about this before but if she would have kind of honed in that sound, she kind of probably would have been a little bit more well known and kind of mm-hmm. as big as say Susie from Susan Banshees. But yeah. she likes to be very obscure and that's very respectable. She's also not like going to make anyone feel comfortable. So I think being a woman in the 70s and 80s and being so, you know, aggressively about your sexuality and like what you wanted to do and being vulgar and saying things that, gonna say, like she was breaking all sorts of rules with how to be a woman and how to be a musician. And so that probably didn't make her likable and she wasn't gonna tone down for anyone. Right. Which we have to respect. <laughs> like, yes. So <laughs> check yeah, it out. Probably. If you're into any goth music, you gotta hear where all your roots come from. You can't just be stuck in My Bloody Sunday or whatever the hell it is. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true. And Zola Jesus, who we also looked at her album, Lydia is one of her influences. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, Aside from Britney Spears and all that. (laughs) (laughs) What do you get when you cross Britney Spears and Lydia Lynch? Zola Jesus. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap this up before I the recording again. You can find me on all the social medias under Glitch Unicorn. And you can find me on Instagram at Sister Santos. Awesome. And next week is going to be our last week of Gothtober. So yes, because there are five Saturdays five in October. Saturdays. <laughs> so exciting. So, so see you then. <laughs> <laughs>